turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 2. Probably the um, best known and perhaps most favorite passage of the Christmas story, these first 20 verses of Luke 2. Um, You can follow along as uh, I read those uh, for us together. Now, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as had been told to them. You know, at least for me, when I consider and think about the birth of Christ and and His incarnation, uh, the very fact that God clothed Himself with human flesh and came to this earth to walk among us, uh, that in itself is incredible. But when I think about how He entered the world and how He was born in such uh, a lowly place and position 
to such ordinary people, it's even more incredible to me to imagine this. For all practical purposes, the Savior of the world was born in obscurity to poor parents in demeaning surroundings. In this story, the night of his birth, there are only a relatively few people involved. Mary, of course, is there, the mother of Jesus. Uh, but when you think about Mary's background and all that we know about her, uh, she was a very ordinary kind of person. I'm not suggesting that she was particularly poverty-stricken, but certainly she was not uh, what we would consider middle class. I don't know that they even had a middle class. They kind of had a lower class and an upper class, and not too many on the upper end. But, but Mary was an ordinary young woman. And there was nothing special about her life other than the fact that God had singled her out for a very amazing and special purpose. Joseph was a skilled craftsman, a carpenter we know, and uh, Herod's temple was under construction during this period of time. And there were a lot of craftsmen that had been employed in the construction of Herod's temple. And it's very possible that Joseph was working uh, in the region uh, back and forth and whatever to, um, uh, to help in the construction of the temple. And uh, the palaces and all the things that, that Herod was doing. But he, again, was not... A prince. He didn't stand out among men as uh, an unusual person of high estate. He was rather ordinary in his position. The third group of people that appear in the story are shepherds. Shepherds typically were among the lowliest of, of the culture. Um, oftentimes, um, young boys were assigned the role of shepherd. Uh, as the youngsters grew up and became older and uh, learned uh, crafts and skills or whatever else, they went to work in other ways. And oftentimes, the, the younger ones, I'm talking 11, 12, 13, became the shepherds. There's suggestion in this text, perhaps, that there were older uh, young men among them, but shepherds were kind of considered uh, to be the, the lowest among the low, and they were out that night on the hillside in the fields watching over the flocks. They were the ones to whom the angels came. They, they could have gone to princes. They could have gone to kings. They could have gone to the courtyard in Jerusalem or some noble place. But they came to shepherds in the field, in the dark, with the sheep to announce the birth of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. 
The story begins, as Luke tells us in this second chapter, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census should be taken of all the inhabited earth. It was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And he required that every head of household go back to the city of their birth or their heritage and register uh, where their family originated. And so Joseph was required to set aside his uh, day-to-day responsibilities and make the journey back to Bethlehem uh, to the city of David because that was uh, his background. It's interesting to me that God not only gives us predictive prophecy, but He also ensures that it come to pass just as He has said. Uh, if you want to turn uh, in the Old Testament to Micah, um, chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. Uh, it's a fascinating passage. If uh, you're missing your Bible this morning, I'm going to read it for you. But in Micah chapter 5, the prophet says, Now muster yourselves in troops, daughter of troops. They have laid siege against us. With a rod they will smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Therefore, he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has borne a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel, and he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain, because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. This one will be our peace. You know, as we look back on that passage from our vantage point, can there be any doubt at all about whom Micah prophesies? He is clearly speaking to us of the birth of Christ, and he tells us that this is going to occur in Bethlehem. But Joseph and Mary didn't live in Bethlehem. So how do they get from where they are to Bethlehem when it would not be something they would normally have chosen to do? It wasn't exactly a vacation spot. And I'm not sure they had the luxury of a vacation anyway. But God in His sovereignty turns the hearts of kings in order to accomplish His purposes. And at just the precise time when Mary is nearing the term of her pregnancy, God motivates Caesar Augustus to take a census and to require everyone to go back to the, to the village or the town or the city of their heritage. And so Joseph is forced by rule of law 
to take Mary late in her term. Because the Romans didn't much care what your special needs were. And to take Mary and go back to Bethlehem so that he could register. And the scripture says, while they were there, she brought forth, she gave birth to her firstborn son. Isn't it amazing how God has orchestrated events so that they would fulfill the Scripture promises and clearly point to this one as the Savior? You know, if you will make a study of prophecy in the Old Testament concerning the first coming, the advent of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will come to the settled conclusion that no one fits the bill like Jesus. He is the perfect fulfillment of all of the prophecies. And the, the amazing thing about Jesus is He's not only born in Bethlehem, but the Scripture says, out of Egypt I will call My Son. And how does God get Jesus to Egypt? Well, we know that story as well. And then He will be a Nazarite. And how does He become a Nazarene? A Nazarite. Because eventually they go back to the place they had set up their home in Nazareth. All along the way, God is perfectly orchestrating the circumstances and events of Jesus' life so that there can be no doubt as to who He is. So, Mary and Joseph make the journey to Bethlehem. And the Scripture indicates to us, and we can read between the lines, that the registration of the census overwhelms the available accommodation in many places. Imagine if McHenry were the hometown of a lot of people. And suddenly, one day, um, 1,500 people come to McHenry and need a place to stay. We don't have that many hotel rooms. Uh, people would be looking for shelter in, in every direction. And uh, it wouldn't help to go to Woodstock because there would be people showing up in Woodstock. And I don't know how all that works out, but you can imagine just reading between the lines that by the time Mary and Joseph get to Bethlehem, all available space has been taken. You know, we're pretty hard on that innkeeper. <laughs> we just give him grief at every turn. But the reality is, despite Mary's circumstances, there simply wasn't any room. There was nothing anyone could do for them. They were there by the decree of Caesar. They had to be there, and they had nowhere to stay. And so, the Scripture says, they found a place of shelter in what was essentially a cave or a barn-like structure that was uh, probably the place where the lambing 
occurred when the ewes of the flocks were ready to deliver their lambs. In fact, further research into this area and region suggests that the flocks that were being cared for this time of year were the ones where people traveling into Jerusalem uh, for Passover would find out of Bethlehem lambs that they could purchase that would meet the unblemished criteria, the yearling, so that they could offer the Passover sacrifice. And this place that Mary and Joseph found to stay was very likely one of those lambing shelters where the ewes would be taken to give birth to the lambs that were to become the Passover lambs. That would be the sacrifice. God, in His sovereignty, orchestrating every single event. And so, with no real furnishings and hay for bedding, Mary gave birth in the lowliest of circumstances. And Joseph fashioned a crib for the newborn in a feeding trough for the animals. You know, those of you that have had children, uh, you know how um, obsessed we are with cleanliness and sterility. Uh, I was thinking back to my days on the ambulance and our OB kit, which was uh, sealed up. Um, unlike other supplies that were in the rig, the, that kit was sealed up in a plastic bag, and uh, everything in it was sterile. The towels, the drapes, uh, the scissors to cut the umbilical cord, everything was sterile. And if we had to give uh, to help in birth in the field because there wasn't time to get to the hospital, gloves and gowns and <laughs> everything washed and clean and, and everything just as sterile as it could be was the, the rule of the day. Can you imagine giving birth to a baby on a straw floor in a cave? Can you imagine wrapping him in cloths that you found available? Can you imagine laying him in a feeding trough? I've never met the animal that didn't slobber a bit. And yet Joseph fashioned a crib with the hay and made it soft enough that this newborn could have a place to sleep while Mary recovered from her labor. I cannot imagine circumstances less conducive to childbirth than these circumstances. And yet, this is the way that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ entered the world, giving birth 
to the incarnate, eternal Son of God. As I mentioned earlier, the angel hosts proclaiming His birth, they could have visited any group. They could have gone to kings and princes. They could have gone anywhere they chose to go. But they were sent to shepherds. Simple, ordinary shepherds watching their flock in the field. I want to read you a poem by Sally Meyer called Shepherd. While shepherds careful vigil kept o'er lambs in fields of green, the sky took on a brilliant glow and lit the grassy scene. In dread, they looked upon the star that rose anew that night. Then angels came to calm their fears and tell of the heavenly light. They sang of peace and love and joy and the goodwill He would bring. The keepers of the flocks arose and followed the heavenly beam, but not to gleaming palace walls as it would surely seem. It led them to an earthen stall where cattle and goats were kept, and in the manger soft and warm the little Jesus slept. Tears filled up their tired eyes and ran down wind-burned cheeks. They had found the promised one for whom the world still seeks. Though they were watchers of the flocks, tenders of lamb and you, he was the keeper of God's flock. He is the shepherd true. Can you imagine being a shepherd on the hillside? A night like every other night. The sheep bedded down for the evening. The shepherds keeping an eye on them. The night perhaps dark. Perhaps there was a moon. I don't know. But it was nighttime. And suddenly... This amazing brightness floods their world, blinding in its brilliance. And an angel appears as they are mortally terrified. An angel appears to tell them not to be afraid, but to announce the birth of one for whom Israel has longed. You know, I just want to say parenthetically, Jesus didn't come to palace halls. He didn't come to kings and princes and princesses. He came to common, ordinary people. People who knew they were broken. People who were well acquainted with their failures. Ordinary people. So many times when people climb the social ladder and reach the upper strata, when they accumulate great wealth, they begin to think well of themselves. 
everything's going well and they don't seem to have any need and they think they've done it all by themselves. That's why Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's why the rich young man, when confronted with the cost of discipleship to follow the Lord Jesus, turned and walked away sorrowfully because his God was his wealth and he couldn't give it up. Jesus came for ordinary folk. Not that he excludes the rich and famous, The door is open, but so few ever choose to enter in. But the poor, the broken, the common, the needy, those are the ones who recognize their need for a Savior. Don't ever feel like you somehow don't fit in the kingdom plan regardless of your background or your status or your stature because God has come to seek those who recognize their need. I remember well that night as it were just last night A night suddenly like noonday sun, even more so, was the light that shone from a multitude of angels unveiled. We despaired of morning and fell to the ground, our faces buried, our terrible fate mourning. A voice from an angel broke upon our terror with words comforting and powerful. Fear not, he said, and turned our hearts to something wonderful. He announced good news of a baby born in a lowly place we knew so well, where we tended to use at the time of lambing. It was a prophet's tell. Unto you is born this day in the city of the shepherd king, a savior, Hamashiach. Let this news through all peoples ring. Go now to Bethlehem, I say, and see the infant meek, swaddled in a manger bed, the Lamb, all poor in spirit seek. And so we, like they, left our sheep and ran fast to the lambing place to see the one of whom angels sang with joy beaming from our face, we found the infant Savior there, just as they said, with mother, father lost in awe, and gathered round the manger bed. That night so long ago, forever in my memory, as though just last, And as I too knelt at that manger bed and gazed upon that tiny form, I knew within my heart that this one was the hope of ages past. Yeshua HaMashiach, my Savior and my Lord, 
my fleshly life never again the norm. I want to encourage you this morning as you think about the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Contemplate the amazing condescension. The eternal God the Son leaving heaven's majestic throne entering the womb of a virgin young woman being born in a hay-strewn floor and laid in a feeding trough and visited only by common folk, obscure and hardly recognized, and yet Mary treasured these things in her heart. She remembered the prophet's words, and God had wisely chosen this simple couple A man who would follow his voice no matter what. Who would understand the dreams and obey the direction of God to protect this tiny one. Soon to grow into the Lamb of God that would give his life upon the cross. Our Lord Jesus. Born in humility the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Father, thank you for your word. I pray this morning that you would stir our hearts as we consider all that you, Lord Jesus, suffered for our benefit. All that you endured, not just the birth, but all through your life. Facing the rejection, the ridicule, the temptation, the trials, leading the way, showing us the Father, living before us that Spirit-filled life we were destined to have, and then through the cross making it available. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your condescension, for your ascension, for your love. In Jesus' name, amen.